Chapter 37, The Best Medicine. You, Mr. Curtin repeated, looming over the children and glowering in particular at Rainy. You betrayed me. After all I did for you, welcomed you to my institute, soothed your fears with my whisperer, offered you a role in my improvement. After all this, you chose to defy me. I don't suppose you'd accept an apology? Sticky offered. A cheeky response for him, especially since he was too petrified by the sight of Mr. Curtin's towering figure, even to reach for his spectacles, though every bone in his body wanted to give them a terrific polishing. Mr. Curtin laughed a terrifying screech owl laugh and said, Oh no, I'm afraid not, George but I thank you for reminding me how pathetic children are. Quick to follow, quicker still to flee. Yes, quite pitiful and annoying as gnats, but certainly not a threat. To think you hoped, what did you hope for anyway, to defeat me? But you're only children. Mr. Curtin erupted into laughter again, a long fit of convulsive screeching, calming himself, with some effort, he said, Well, no matter. I needn't dirty my hands clutching your grubby little collars. I'll summon my executives to bear you off. Mr. Curtin turned to walk back to his chair. He paused, however, at the sight of Rainy Muldoon's penetrating stare. The boy's eyes shifted rapidly back and forth, as if calculating something with great concentration. Before Mr. Curtin could ask what the devil he was doing, Rainey said aloud, as if to himself, Okay, so it isn't laughter. What are you blathering about, Reynard? Mr. Curtin demanded. Rainey hardly seemed to hear him. With Mr. Benedict, it's usually laughter that does it. But if it's not laughter with you, then what? It must be something. Otherwise, you wouldn't strap yourself so carefully in. You're so afraid of losing control. But how, exactly? Mr. Curtin's eyebrows shot up. His entire head quivered like a struck bell. I have no idea. What the devil are you? Snakes and... I haven't time for your childish... He sputtered. Yes, you're definitely afraid of something, Rainey said more forcefully, his eyes lighting up. The chair, the straps, the reflective glasses, they're all there to keep your secrets safe from the children. But why are you so afraid of children? Maybe that's why you keep saying we're so harmless. You're trying to convince yourself. In fact, you're scared to death of us. You're like a tiger, afraid of mice. Why else would you stand there, shaking in your boots? It's not from fear, you insignificant speck of dust, roared Mr. Curtin, his face livid with rage. How dare you? I'll crush you all like the gnats you are. And with that, he sprang forward, only to drop in a green plaid heap at the children's feet, where he promptly began to snore. Rainy's breath escaped in a whoosh of relief. Then he nodded. Laughter usually puts Mr. Benedict to sleep. With Mr. Curtin, it's anger. Quick, Sticky, let's tie him up with our sashes. Sticky released Constance's hand, 
which in his fright he had unconsciously seized and loosened his stash. So that's the reason for the chair and the glasses. When he gets really mad, he goes to sleep, but he doesn't want anyone to know. All those times he seemed so furious and then suddenly got quiet, Rainy said, nodding his sash around Mr. Curtin's ankles. I always thought he was getting ready to kill me, but really, he was just asleep. Um, fellows, said Constance, he's awake. The boys jumped back. Sure enough, Mr. Curtin's eyes were open and looking wildly about. When they fell upon Rainy's face, they narrowed with hatred. Oh, that's right, he said, yawning. I was on my way over to kill you. But what's this? Sashes? Surely you don't think mere ribbons could restrain me. Rainy's face fell. I sort of hoped they would. Then you are even more foolish than I perceived you to be, said Mr. Curtin, and spreading his arms and legs with one powerful thrust, he ripped the sashes in two. If we're so foolish, Constance shouted before he could rise, then what does that say about you? You made the boys messengers, even though they always intended to betray you. And we've tricked you again and again. We even know about your narcolepsy, though you tried so hard to hide it. If we're foolish, then you're the greatest fool of all, since we're obviously much smarter than you. For a moment, Mr. Curtin trembled violently, unable even to form words in his fury. Then his eyes closed and he sank back upon the floor. That was fun, Constance said. That was close, Sticky said. But now what? There's nothing else to tie him up with. How about this rope? cried a familiar voice. And to their surprise, Kate Weatherall suddenly leaped in through the open window. She was a welcome sight, but a terrible one. Her cheeks were scratched and bleeding. Her lips were swollen. Her clothes were torn, her hair stuck out in all directions, and on top of this, she was streaked with mud. Yet she seemed cheerful as ever they'd seen her, her bruised black eyes shining with happiness, and her bloody lips spread in a terrific grin. As she knelt to bind Mr. Curtin's hands and feet, Kate eagerly told them what had happened. Your father, Sticky cried, I can't believe it. So that's why Milligan disappeared all those years ago. He was captured on a mission. But why has he disappeared now? Constance demanded. Shouldn't he be here? He said he was going for help. I didn't take time to ask for details. I thought you'd need me. Rainy nudged the slumbering Mr. Curtin with his toe. It's good you came up when you did. Otherwise, he'd have throttled us when he woke up. So now what? Constance asked. Rainey was already moving toward the Whisperer. I've been thinking about what Mr. Curtin said, that the Whisperer is a sensitive... How did he say it exactly, Sticky? A sensitive, delicately balanced machine that requires his strict mental guidance for its proper function. Exactly. And we also know that its computers are modeled on Mr. Curtin's brain. Well... If it's so sensitive and delicate, and if it's like a brain, we ought to be able to confuse it. Maybe we can trick it into shutting itself down. That's your plan? Constance asked doubtfully. 
Any machine can be turned off, Rainy said, if only you know how. So let's figure out how. He pulled Mr. Curtin's red helmet down onto his head. Instantly, he heard the whisper asking his name. Ladopthra Curtin, he barked, just as he had heard Mr. Curtin do. You are not Ladopthra Curtin, came the reply. Rainy took a deep breath. He had to trick the whisperer, had to think just as Mr. Curtin would. Concentrating with all his might, he tried to imagine what a genius he was and how pleasant life would be once he was known as Master Curtin and what a nuisance children were. I am Ladopthra Curtin, he declared again. There was a pause. Could the whisperer be hesitating? Was it uncertain? I must control it, Rainy thought, which definitely reminded him of Mr. Curtin. Focusing on these words, he redoubled his concentration. Control it, he thought. Control it, control it, control it. The pause stretched out. In his mind, he thought he could hear a clicking sound, like the tumblers of a lock. This really might work. Then the whisperer said, No, you are not Ladopthra Curtin. An awful chuckle sounded from across the room. Rainy ducked out of the red helmet. Mr. Curtin had opened his eyes. His face showed evident mirth. Surely you don't think you could fool my whisperer. How typically juvenile. I'm afraid my whisperer is foolproof, Reynard. Or perhaps I should say childproof. They amount to the same thing. At that moment, S.Q. Pedalian's voice came over the intercom. Mr. Curtin, I hope this qualifies as an actual emergency, sir. I don't want to disturb you, but I just received a report that some executives have been knocked out with tranquilizer darts, and Kate Weatherall was seen climbing through your window. There's a ladder by the brook, but it's too short. Shall we send for a taller one and follow her in? Mr. Curtin smugly lifted an eyebrow. Raynaud. Be a good lad and tell SQ you wish to surrender. This will be most efficient course. You are soon to be captured, regardless. We're not done yet, Rainy said determinedly, climbing into the whisperer's seat. SQ's voice came over the intercom again. Mr. Curtin, sir? Since you haven't responded, we're sending for the tallest ladder we can find. We'll come to your aid at once. Poor Raynaud, Mr. Curtin said. The Whisperer won't activate the blue helmet unless I am wearing the red one. So you see, your idea may have been good for a child, but ultimately fruitless. He's trying to trick us, Kate warned. He wants us to put him in the Whisperer. Rainy had sat beneath the blue helmet just in case it might work. But about this, at least, Mr. Curtin had told the truth. The helmet wouldn't come down. He stood and poked his head up into it. Nothing happened. This is really very amusing, Mr. Curtin said. Rainey turned to his friends. I have to try it. Splendid, Mr. Curtin cried. Sticky grabbed Rainey's arm. If you're sitting in the whisper, he can brain sweep you. That's how he does it. You won't stand a chance. Maybe not, Rainey said somberly. But if we don't stop him now... He'll never be stopped. I'll do my best to resist. If he brain sweeps me, 
One of you has to take my place. He's already tired. Maybe we can wear him out. How very touching, Mr. Curtin said. Willing to be brain-swept, are you, Reynard? I applaud your sacrifice. That is, I would, if my hands were not so crudely bound. The others looked uncertainly at Rainy, who smiled as bravely as he could and said, What choice do we have? Sticky and Kate agreed. It was the only thing to do. With the three of them working quickly together, Constance had retreated into the corner, looking more frightened, stubborn, and miserable than ever. They lifted Mr. Curtin, who only smiled, offering no resistance, strapped him into his wheelchair, and rolled him into position beneath the red helmet. Then, shaking hands and wishing each other luck, they fitted the helmet over his head. Le Doctor Curtin, he roared in delight. Rainey's vision seemed to flicker. Did he have something in his eyes? He blinked and looked again. Mr. Curtin was smiling triumphantly at him. Obviously, Reynard, you were unaware of the extent of my improvements. You needn't be seated in my lovely whisperer to experience its most powerful effect. In this room, you are all quite within range. In horror, Rainey's mind flashed back to an entry from Mr. Curtin's journal, the one that began, As of this morning, the messages are transmitting directly. To my great satisfaction, the whisperer is now capable of... They hadn't seen the last part, but now, too late. Rainey realized how it must have ended. If Mr. Curtin could broadcast messages directly into people's minds, he could brain-sweep them in the same way. He had only to focus on them. Again, Rainey's vision seemed to flicker, this time for a little longer. Everything simply disappeared, as if the lights had gone out. It came again, a wave of complete blankness. Mr. Curtin was doing it to the others, too. Sticky stood blinking and clutching his head, utterly stunned. And Kate was turning round and round, as if seeking her invisible attacker. What? What's happening? She cried. What do we do? He's trying to brain sweep you, Rainy shouted. Fight it. Think of everything you love and hold on to it. You have to fight, Rainy commanded himself. Think of Miss Perumal and your favorite books and Mr. Benedict and your friends. You have to hold on. As you can see, Mr. Curtin was saying, my machine is capable of much more than whispering. It is capable of shouting. And I'm afraid the final effect is, how to put it, quite deafening. It was like shouting, Rainy thought, an overwhelming shouted silence above which you could hear nothing else, nothing else. His eyelids were drooping now. Rainy pinched himself, but he hardly seemed to feel it. He slipped to his knees. It was impossible to fight, impossible to resist. What could they do? Rainy couldn't think straight at all. There was nothing they could do. Nothing they could do. Nothing they could. Nothing they. Nothing they. Nothing. Nothing. What's this? Mr. Curtin exclaimed. He cackled with pleasure. Well, well, well. Rainy forced his eyes open. 
Mr. Curtin was beaming, as if he'd been given a marvelous, unexpected present. Sticky had dropped to his hands and knees. Kate was leaning against a wall, trying to hold herself up. And Constance. Where was Constance? The sound of metal cuffs snapping into place drew Rainey's gaze back to the whisperer, in which, was it possible? Constance had just taken a seat. Now Sticky and Kate were staring too, their mouths hanging open. Constance Contraire? Already the blue helmet had lowered onto the tiny girl's head. Her eyes were squeezed shut. Her mouth set tight and grim. She looked as cranky and unhappy as they had ever seen her. Rainy Muldoon, she shouted, and Mr. Curtin's delighted grin shifted into a frown. The waves of blankness began to subside. Why, Kate said, shaking her head to clear it, why did she yell your name? The whisperer asks for your name, Rainy said. Constance is resisting it. Sticky Washington, Constance shouted, and Mr. Curtin quivered with irritation. That's the first time she ever used my nickname, Sticky said. He sat up on his knees. But why has the brain sweeping stopped? Mr. Curtin must be focusing all the power on her, Rainy said in a wondering tone. But why would he need to do that? Rainy leaped to his feet, having realized the answer. The great Kate weather machine, Constance shouted. And behind her, Mr. Curtin said, bah! Because she's resisting, Rainy cried. And no one can resist like Constance. For a moment, Constance and Mr. Curtin both trembled violently, as if caught in an earthquake. Perspiration poured down the face of man and girl alike. And then, in a voice so loud it hurt everyone's ears, Constance exclaimed, I don't care! This was followed by a crazed string of negatives. No, I won't. I will not. You can't make me. Uh-uh. Never. No. Mr. Curtin hissed. Bend, you obstinate child. Never. Constance shrieked. And indeed, it seemed she never would. Mr. Curtin's face had gone quite purple, and drops of perspiration fell from the tip of his lumpy nose like water from a leaky faucet. It was a fierce battle. The children's admiration soared. This was Constance's great gift, the gift of stubborn independence and she was bringing it to bear with all her might. For all her valiant resistance, though, the child was, after all, only a child. As the minutes passed, Constance's voice grew more cracked and strained, her cheeks redder and redder, her strength closer to failing. She could not hold out forever. Indeed, she seemed ready at any moment to fly apart like a broken doll. Can't we do something? Sticky cried. It's killing her! Yet what could they do but stare helplessly at the poor girl? If they could remove her somehow, one of the others could take her place. But Constance was shackled into place. The children watched in growing despair as the brave child grew weaker and weaker, her voice softer and softer, until at last her cries of defiance 
were scarcely more than mumbles. And now Mr. Curtin's voice came to them. It too was weak, as if the struggle had taken as great a toll on the man as it had the child. But it was smug nonetheless. As I told you, and as you now see for yourselves, children, my creation is foolproof. He smacked his lips and forced a feeble smile. A few minutes more, and I believe you can say goodbye to little Miss Con. A loud booming sound interrupted him. The children jumped. Had the executives come to break down the door? But no, the booming sound didn't come from the door. It came from behind the wall and was quickly followed by a muffled voice. Katie, are you in there, child? Snakes and dogs, growled Mr. Curtin. Who is that? And how did he get back here? Milligan, Kate shouted as they all put their ears to the wall. Where are you? In a passage behind a hidden door, but the door opens from the inside. Is there a lever or switch of some kind? The wheelchair, cried Rainey, dashing to Mr. Curtin's chair to study its buttons. I should have known you'd keep a secret exit. When it comes down to it, you're not even half as brave as a child. Rainey was hoping his words would infuriate Mr. Curtin into sleep, but Mr. Curtin had prepared himself and was not so easily goaded. You're right. I give up, he said slyly. If you promise not to hurt me, I'll tell you which button to push. It's the middle one, right there, on the right arm. Sure it is, said Rainey, who recognized the button. Pushing it would admit the executives. He studied the other ones. Let's see, this one's for the intercom. I saw you push that one, too. And these levers are obviously for the wheels and brakes. So that leaves this one. He held his finger above an inconspicuous silver button. You're right, Mr. Curtin said with a dramatic sigh. That's the one, Rainy grinned. You want me to think you're trying to trick me, but you can't trick me that way either. Mr. Curtin scowled. Rainy pressed the button and an electronic keyboard popped into view on the wall above Kate's head. Well done, my miserable young spies, said Mr. Curtin haughtily. You found the keypad. What a pity you don't know the code. Try 3507, Rainey said. Kate reached up to enter the code. Oh, no, there aren't any numbers. It's all letters. Mr. Curtin smiled an oily, self-satisfied smile. You must have got that number from one of my executives. I admit, I'm impressed. However, I'm afraid not even my executives know the code to my secret exit. Maybe we can guess it, Sticky ventured. Mr. Curtin shook his head as if he pitied them. Do you not see the pointlessness of your efforts? Even if you managed to escape the island, you would have accomplished nothing. Moreover, you can be assured my recruiters would come for you. You would be captured by nightfall. And by morning, you would be calling me your master. You will be under my complete control. Thank you, Rainy burst out, his face brightening. Mr. Curtin was startled. Thank me. You've given me an idea. Aren't you always saying that control is the key? Mr. Curtin snorted with contempt. But from the look of fury in the man's eyes, Rainy felt he'd struck the right note. Kate, try the word control. 
Kate poked the keys deliberately, calling out the letters as she typed. C-O-N-T-R-O-L. Nothing happened. Over the intercom came SQ's voice. Mr. Curtin, sir, we found a ladder and should have it outside your window in two minutes. Mr. Curtin chuckled. Raynaud, you pathetic fellow. Did you honestly think you were smarter than I? Did you truly believe you could guess my code? Control indeed. Oh, bravo, bravo, bravo. Three cheers for Reynard Muldoon. I thought we'd try English first, Reynard said thoughtfully. But since you're so proud of your home country, I think we'll also try Dutch. Mr. Curtin's jaw dropped. Then, trying to cover his consternation, he said, As if you could possibly know. Rainy interrupted him. Sticky, how do you spell control in Dutch? Same as in English, Sticky replied, only with an E on the end. Here's hoping, Kate said, reaching up to tap the E key. Snakes and dogs, howled Mr. Curtin, before falling into a peaceful sleep. As the hidden door slid open and Kate was swept up into Milligan's good arm, Rainy and Sticky rushed over to help Constance. The cuffs and helmet had not retracted. Constance's eyelids were fluttering, and still she murmured, so quietly it was difficult to hear her. No, no, no. We have to get her out, Sticky said. Don't worry, we will, said a woman's voice. The boys turned to discover Rhonda Kazembi and number two standing right behind them. And then, before they could express their amazement, into the room strode Mr. Benedict himself. Mr. Benedict, Rainy cried. We were trying to confuse it. That is, Constance was, but... Mr. Benedict nodded. You've done wondrously well, wondrously well. Now, how is dear Constance? Awful, said Sticky. Just look at her. Yes, said Mr. Benedict, kneeling beside Constance. This machine has come close to breaking her will. The brave child. She's very nearly used it all up at once. Very nearly? Oh, she'll quite recover. In a much louder voice, Mr. Benedict said, Constance Contraire, you've done it, child. The whisperer is deeply, profoundly confused. You can stop fighting now. The little girl stopped mumbling, smacked her lips, and opened her eyes. What took you so long? Do you see? Mr. Benedict said with a fond smile, tossing her hair. She'll be fine. Constance, dear, please climb down from the chair now. We must hurry. But she can't climb down, Rainy said, indicating the cuffs. What do you know about it? Constance replied grumpily, sliding her tiny wrists free of the metal bands and slipping her head out of the helmet. The boys gaped. You mean you could have gotten out any time you wanted? Sticky asked. It would take some pretty small cuffs to hold me tight, she replied. Despite her bravado, however, Constance was so weak, she toppled forward when she tried to stand. Mr. Benedict caught her, held her by the shoulders, and looked her squarely in the eyes. I am so proud of you, Constance. You've been very brave indeed. Thank you for your great efforts. Constance beamed with pleasure. 
There was no time for anything. Not to express their shock at Constance's having chosen to remain in the whisperer despite the agonizing struggle. Not to seek explanations for the arrival of Mr. Benedict and his agents. Not even to tell Mr. Benedict what had happened. Fortunately, he and his agents seemed to know exactly what to do. Already, Milligan had lifted the slumbering Mr. Curtin out of his chair and laid him, more gently than anyone thought he deserved, onto the floor. Already, Rhonda was ushering the children toward the secret exit. And already, Mr. Benedict, allowing himself only a moment to stare into the sleeping face of his brother, who had chosen such a dreadful path. Already, he was taking Mr. Curtin's place in the wheelchair and reaching for the red helmet. Mr. Benedict, there's no time, said Sticky. They'll come through that window any moment. There's time, Sticky, but not for everything. Thanks to you children, this machine is disoriented, and I must strike while the iron's hot. Hurry now, all of you. Make your escape as quickly as you can. The others were dumbfounded, including number two, who had shadowed Mr. Benedict to the wheelchair and seemed at a loss what to do. You mean you're staying behind? But they'll catch you. They'll kill you. Why else am I here if not to do this now? He told her soothingly. Milligan, please take my brother with you. We must separate him from his machine. If I fail to disable it, you must do everything in your power to keep him away from it. You know I will, Milligan said, shaking his hand. With his uninjured arm, he scooped up Mr. Curtin, still bound by Kate's rope, and threw him over his shoulder. Now don't worry about me, children, Mr. Benedict said. Above all else, you must make your escape. Go at once. Milligan, allow no one to linger, not even you, dear number two. Hurry now. Go. Go.